0: Hi, I'm Naira Smith, and welcome to this conference audio from Work & Go, Manchester 2022. For more resources and information about Work and & Go and our upcoming events, check out our website, workandgo.org. Work & Go wants to see work and lives transformed by the good news of Jesus. We seek to inspire, equip, and commission you as a follower of Jesus, affirming that sharing your faith across cultures and having a fulfilling career are not mutually exclusive. In fact, they're made to go together. Here's Caroline Pomeroy of Climate Stewards digging into how our work and professional practice can be shaped by our concern for the wonderful creation God has entrusted to us. She challenges us to recognize that caring for creation is not just an optional extra for those keen, green, left-wing young Christians amongst us, but actually it's a core part of our witness and discipleship especially in our workplaces, as our colleagues, particularly those of the millennial and Gen Z generation, will notice if we're not caring for creation in all that we do and say. Enjoy.
1: So good morning, everyone. My name's Caroline. And you might have been a little surprised uh, to see climate stewards in the lineup of three partners hosting this conference today. LICC clearly is all about workplace theology. That makes sense. That's the work bit of work and go. OMF has been bringing the gospel to all nations for 150 years or so, I think. So that's the go bit. Where does climate stewards fit in? Well, I think that Fund, OMF, LICC and many, many other Christian organisations are convinced that caring for creation is not just an optional extra for the keen, green, left-wing young Christians amongst us, But actually, it's a core part of our discipleship. And as such, it's something that every one of us needs to be doing and actually actively engaging in. And that's why we're here today. And there's a really uh, important stream, the Isaiah stream, I think, uh, which is all around caring for creation. I think that our work colleagues, too, particularly those of the millennial and Gen Z generation, will notice if we're not caring for creation in all that we do and say I'm not gonna go through the theology of why we should care for creation this morning, but um, if if I had time, I'd run through a whole series of passages from Genesis to Revelation, stopping off at the Psalms, the Gospels, the epistles, explaining why caring for the earth is integral to our faith. But for me, it boils down to this one verse. In the parable of the Good Samaritan, Jesus was talking about the way we treat our human neighbors. But I think that in today's world, this parable has something to say to us around how we treat our global neighbors who are suffering first and worse from the impacts of climate change and other environmental challenges. The vulnerable, the marginalized, the poor, the migrants, refugees, those who are different from us and we'll probably never know. The Good Samaritan cared for his neighbor and he paid for his recovery. How can we do the same thing to our global neighbors suffering from climate change and other environmental impacts in a warming world And what about our future neighbors, our children and our grandchildren and their children facing a very, very different world from what we're living in today, shaped by extreme weather events, mass migration, hunger. What are we doing about them? How are we loving them? And our non-human neighbors, species threatened with extinction, perhaps already gone. If my actions are contributing to climate change, global pollution, water shortages, how can I be truly loving my non-human neighbours as well? So for me, that's where it boils down to, love our neighbours as ourselves. And as I'm sure you are aware, we're right in the middle of some crucial climate negotiations. COP 27 taking place in Egypt this last week and this week. And if I wasn't here this morning, I might be out on the streets, and I suspect there are probably people in Manchester this morning uh, marching for to take to raise the profile of climate change, to call on our leaders and our negotiators to work towards ambitious binding treaties to prevent what the head of the UN called last week, the highway to climate hell. That's strong language, isn't it, from from a senior civil servant. Many years ago, probably about 15 now at least, I was on the streets of London, taking part in one of the very first climate marches. I'd come there from my hometown, I live in Somerset, uh, with a group of campaigners for environmental justice. Uh, we, came, we, we went on a bus to London. And as we marched along Piccadilly with our sort of homemade banners, um, my friend Cordelia, who was marching along beside me, she said, wow, she said, there's all these Christian banners out there. Who are these people? You know, who are Operation Noah? Who is Tear Fund? What about CAFOD and Christian Aid? She said, if I was a Christian, it would be the most obvious thing in the world to care about the world that God made. So I'm not a Christian, but I'm really glad to see that some Christians are doing this. I'm very glad to have met you, me, uh, who seems to take this seriously. I've never heard the church talking about these things, she said. Fast forward 15 years, and my friend Cordelia is still getting arrested many times. She's been arrested as part of Extinction Rebellion, Just Stop Oil, Insulate Britain. And she often works alongside members of Christian Climate Action. And she's told me many, many times how impressed she is with their commitment and their willingness to get arrested. She said, they are the bravest of the lot. Now, thankfully the church, or at least parts of it, is waking up to our responsibility to take environmental justice seriously and beginning to put its own house in order. So whatever you think of direct action, and you may not be fans of it, I tell you these stories to illustrate the fact that the world is watching what we Christians do and say about climate change and the biggest issues of our times. And I think God cares too about how we treat the world he made. Whether we're encouraging people to compost their tea bags at work or whether we're, um, writing new climate policies for our organization, these are important parts of our witness. I started my life, my working life as a chartered surveyor in the leafy, not very leafy, actually, that sorry, I got this off the internet. That is nearly almost the office that I worked in uh, many years ago in uh, the west end of London. I had studied land economy at university and I was fascinated by everything to do with uh, land and property and um, geography and the environment. And I thought I maybe could save the planet somewhere along the way. Um, but my first job was in this very highly commercial West End chartered surveyors practice with all the heavy drinking and the excesses of the late 1980s that where I was. And as a young and relatively new Christian, I decided I had to stand out from the crowd and talk about my Christian faith. So cringe alert coming up, I bought myself might not be able to see this, but a tiny little badge. Some of us here may may even have worn them in the past. Uh, it's a little fishy ichthus. And I pinned it my smart business suit on the lapel, and I hoped and prayed that people would ask me why I was wearing a fish. And I remember vividly one lunchtime in the pub with my boss Uh, He asked me, why are you wearing a fish on your, you know, what's this all about? So I kind of stammered out something. I don't know what I said. (laughs) Um, And I suspected it didn't make any sense at all. Um, But who knows? At that point in my life, I think I was struggling to connect my work with my faith. I thought my work was a means to an end. It was a way to make money. It was a way perhaps to witness to my non-Christian colleagues, maybe take them to a lunchtime service. But it, it felt very tokenistic. And I think that little badge was perhaps... A sort of emblem of that tokenism. So a decade later, um, after working overseas for Tear Fund, I attended a workshop led by uh, Dave Bookless, who works at that time, or still does, for the Christian environmental charity Arosha. And he was still talking about why we as Christians should care for the environment. And for me, it was a a light bulb moment. When these two very disparate parts of my world, my work, my faith, began to connect. When I heard that very, very famous verse, John 3:16, 16, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. But he described and well, he explained how that word world in the original text is the cosmos. It's the whole world. It's not just the people, uh, as it often has been translated when I lived in uh, Rwanda, in the Kenya Rwanda Bible, it actually says the people of the world. It isn't the people, it's the whole world. And when I made that connection, that was the first step for me in making that connection between my faith and my care and my concern about the environment. So I started to look for ways to integrate my faith and my care for the environment. And another spell working overseas in environmental projects and a masters in climate change led me to my current role at Climate Stewards. So I'm fortunate now to work for a Christian organization where I do not have to wear my little fish badge um, because my colleagues know what we do and know who I am, but Climate Stewards actually works with all sorts of organizations and individuals of no faith and Christian faith and other faiths. And I think what I found interesting in my current role is how many times our secular colleagues and people that we interact with are curious about what makes us tick. I used to find myself being rather coy about our Christian origins or Christian entity uh, and my motivation for tackling climate change and almost apologizing For working with and through local churches, which is what we do. But increasingly I find that people are curious and positive when I explain this holistic understanding of the gospel as good news for all creation, as it says in Mark's gospel. And that working with and through local churches in the global south is actually far more sustainable and integral than whizzing in and out with a development project with the latest organization. Because churches are not just embedded in the community. They are the community. So I was asked just briefly to tell you who Climate Stewards is and what we do. Um, What we do is that we help people to measure, reduce and offset their carbon footprint. Uh, We do this by providing online carbon footprint calculators for individuals and churches and other organisations and carrying out audits for larger organisations like OMS. You may not know but in the uk the average carbon footprint is around 10 tons of carbon dioxide per person per year that's made up of our land travel our energy use our food our consumption what we call stuff and what the government does for us as well so that's our our proportion of the whole footprint and if we're going to keep global warming between the underneath the magic 1.5 degrees that we're all talking about at the moment we need to reduce that 10 tons that too. Now that is a tall order and it won't happen until the world weans itself off fossil fuels. But there are things that we can do as part of that. So do come and take a look at our carbon footprint calculator built out of Duplo, which is right beside the bookstore out there and chat with me or my colleague Alice who's sitting in the middle um, about uh, if you want to know more about that process. So having measured our carbon footprint, we encourage people to think about ways they can reduce it. That might be by turning down the thermostat, which you might be needing to do anyway this winter to save some money. Um, Eating less meat, finding greener ways to travel, reusing, recycling, campaigning. There are millions of ways to do that, but it's all important. And finally, having taken steps to reduce your footprint, Climate Stewards helps you to offset it That's compensating for that footprint by funding projects which remove or reduce carbon emissions into the atmosphere. This is one of our projects in Nepal. As you can see uh, on the left, this is the before scenario. This is a household in northwestern Nepal where they are using an open fire to cook their food. Uh, what we do is that we fund these clean cook stoves, which have a chimney. So they remove the smoke from the room. They halve, roughly half, um, consumption of fuel wood, uh, saving around six tonnes of carbon emissions per year per stove, which is a massive difference. So they're reducing deforestation. They're cutting the distance, the amount of time that people have to walk to collect their firewood. They're improving health. So they're bringing multiple local benefits as well as mitigating carbon. We also work in a number of countries in Africa. Alice and I have just come back from a trip to visit some of our partners. This is in Ghana, where our partners, uh, Arusha Ghana, have been planting indigenous trees with schools and church communities. Trees, of course, not only lock up carbon, but bring lots of local benefits too all our projects are carried out in partnership with local Christian organisations and we work really carefully with them to ensure that robust and sustainable projects. I'm often asked whether carbon offsetting is just a form of greenwashing or a licence to pollute. Environmentalist George Monbiot describes carbon offsets as papal indulgences, paying someone else to do your dirty work. But I believe that when we offset our carbon emissions as the last thing that we do after really trying hard and continually seeking to reduce our footprint, then it is a responsible way to deal with our unavoidable carbon emissions. So as I mentioned uh, last month in October, Alice and I spent three weeks uh, visiting our partners, some of our partners in Tanzania, uh, Uganda and Kenya. Again and again, they told us just how much climate change is impacting the work that they are doing. This is a man called Benedicto. He is an extraordinary young man. He's 36 years old. And he has struggled against the odds to get an education and to bring benefits to his local community, a little village called Zeze in northwestern Tanzania. As we walked with him through these tiny plots of farmland all around his village, um, he, he stopped here and you can't actually see it in the photograph, but there's a tiny trickle by his feet, which is, was the river, it was a stream, uh, which in, at the end of the dry season was almost dry. And he said, when I was a child, I used to come here with my friends. Don't forget, he's only 36. When I was about 10, he said, I used to come here with my friends and we used to fish for catfish and tilapia, little fish in the in stream. And it was dangerous. He met, and I could hardly believe this. He said, <laughs> he said, we met lions, monkeys, hippos, wild pigs and snakes. He said, now there is no wild land left. Every square meter is farmed and productivity is falling year on year. Climate change means that our crops are failing like never before. Varieties that used to thrive won't grow, and irregular rains are causing our plants to die, and families are unable to replant because they haven't got enough seed left because they, the last lot died. Later in our trip, we ended up in Kenya, southeastern Kenya, in a, a small church where we worshipped together with the local community one Sunday morning. And this part the, the Horn of Africa is facing an enormous drought at the moment. There are 50 million people estimated to be at risk of starvation, essentially. It's as big as that Band-Aid drought that we, all, those those older, older older amongst us will remember. Um, as we prayed fervently for rain, and I have never prayed more fervently for rain with that group of people, a farmer brought up a small bag of maize to the altar, and we, we he asked the pastor to bless his maize seeds. It was very powerful and poignant, especially as only two weeks earlier, I'd been in my local village church in Somerset, where in our harvest festival service, our local farmer had told us how he had run out of grass to feed his cows seven weeks earlier than in previous years due to the lack of um, rain this summer in the UK. So that was a timely reminder that climate change is wreaking havoc right around the world. As we prepared for this conference, Naira asked me to tell you What gets me up in the morning? Why have I chosen to work in climate change? Well, I think God has led me through a number of steps to a point where I do feel I'm called to be an advocate for climate justice, particularly in the Christian world, where the environment is not always top of everybody's priority list. As Christians, we have a huge opportunity to make a difference. There was a man called Gus Speth, who was an advisor to successive American governments, And he said this, he said that after 30 years of good science, I thought we would have sort of solved climate change. Science and education, we knew what to do. But we're still getting it wrong. I mean, look at the COP talks that are going on at the moment. I've now realised, he said, that the top environmental problems are selfishness, greed, and apathy. And as scientists, we don't know what to do about that. So what we need is a spiritual and a cultural revolution. Now, as we, most of us know, one-third of the world's population call themselves Christians. If all of those people woke up to that environmental responsibility, just imagine what a different world we would be living in. This is Catherine Hayhoe, a leading climate science and evangelical Christian. And she says this, in the Apostle Paul's letter to Timothy, he reminds us, that we've not been given a spirit of fear. Fear is not from God. Instead, we've been given a spirit of power to act rather than to remain paralysed in anxiety, fear, or guilt, a spirit of love to have compassion for others, particularly those less fortunate than ourselves, especially those affected by climate change, and a sound mind to use the information we have to make good decisions. The world of climate change and environment are quite tough places to work at the moment, and there is very, very little hope among scientists, policymakers, and activists. Climate anxiety and climate grief are real, and as a Christian, it's really easy to get overwhelmed by despair. So when this happens, I try to focus on what I can do rather than what I can't. I think we all know the story of the little boy and the starfish putting them back into the sea, um, and I think that's, that's been helpful for me. So finally, as we spend the rest of today thinking about how to share the gospel in our workplaces, please do consider how our attitudes and actions towards God's creation, however small they might appear, will be noticed. They're important to God and they'll be noticed by our colleagues. And just to sum up, I love this quote from Rob Frost, uh, who's not with us anymore, sadly, but he said this. He said, when Christians take the earth seriously, then people will take the gospel seriously. Thank you.
0: We hope you've enjoyed listening. Do subscribe so you don't miss the next one. And if you found the podcast helpful and encouraging, then please do share it with others. If you want to look further into the issues surrounding the gospel and caring for creation, we recommend you check out Serve Asia's Creation Care podcast series where Caroline is a guest speaker. You'll find the link to the Serve Asia podcast in the show notes. For more information and resources about upcoming events, check out our website, workandgo.org, or follow us on Instagram at workandgo.uk. You'll find the links in the show notes. If you have any questions, feedback, or anything else, please do get in touch. We love to hear from you. Thanks again for listening.